We the ones. We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. Choose your fighter. Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. Some of it was bad, but hopefully you'll you probably piece something together. Outstanding. There's an earthquake in the middle of the podcast. Unbelievable. We're begging for listeners. That's all we do. We all we got. Hey, Titans on three. One, two, three. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Music City Audible podcast brought to you by the Pharmacy Burger Parlor and Beer Garden in partnership with Broadway Sports Media and 440 Sports. I'm Justin Graver. Joining me, as always, is Justin Mello, and we are here to recap. And when I say recap, I think what I really mean is air some frustrations after a Titans very frustrating 20-16 to loss at home to the Cincinnati Bengals. Justin, how you doing? Doing well, I guess, given the circumstances. Um, it's been a while, I feel like, since we've had to do one of these. And what I mean by that is recapping a really frustrating loss. And look, we had to do it in week one and two, right after the Giants and Buffalo. But then they went on, on, on a winning streak. And then the Kansas City game, I think we both felt pretty good recapping that loss, right? As good as you can feel after right. a loss based on, you know, Malik Willis being at quarterback and taking the Chiefs to overtime. So it's been a while since we've had to recap what, in my opinion, was a really, really frustrating loss. Yeah, I don't even know if week two qualifies because that was such a blowout. It was just like, what the (laughs) hell just happened? But I mean, I I think week one was a very frustrating loss. And uh, yesterday that we're recording this Monday, yesterday was a very frustrating loss. So let's get into it. I think the sort of overarching deal here is... The last two games before the Cincinnati game, the Titans had struggled to run the ball or at least find efficiency running the ball, and yet the offense was still effective enough to get a victory. Against Denver, it wasn't that effective. Against Green Bay, they had an effective offense despite struggling to run the ball. In this game against Cincinnati, they couldn't run the ball, and it really hamstrung the entire offensive attack as the Titans finished with only 16 points. And they did move the ball decently well in this game. They got in the red zone three times and they failed to score a touchdown all three times in large part because they couldn't run the ball well in the red zone. If they if they convert one of those trips to the red zone, this again this is my overarching takeaway. If they convert one of those three trips to the red zone, they likely win this football game or at least have a chance to go to overtime there at the end. They'd be winning by, they would have taken a field goal to, to go ahead instead of be behind by four points. I don't know. Yeah, I guess if you're looking for a positive to take away from this, it's that it's rare you're going to go to get to the red zone three times and only score six points. Um, it's pretty rare for this team, especially, right? Weren't they like number one offense in the league in the red number, zone from an, number two? So they were number two. Yeah. Um, from an efficiency, Cincinnati's number one right now. <laughs> there you go. Funny enough. So from an efficiency standpoint, they've been really good in that area. Now, we all know they don't have the most explosive offense in the league and they don't get to the red zone, you know, five, six, seven times a game per se. Uh, but when they have gotten there, they've been really good, right? Converting those opportunities into touchdowns. That didn't happen on Sunday, as, as we just said, right? Only, you know, getting six points out of three trips is even worse than it. Like, I think they were due for some regression in that area. Right. But getting six points from three trips is even worse, right? And then it should be from a regression standpoint. So I guess if you're looking for a positive, you can you can certainly point to that. But for me, um, there's a, a lot of negatives coming out of this one. Yeah, and it's just frustrating to see them continue to try and make the running game work when, you know, Henry's averaging so like he had 18 carries for 38 yards, 2.2 yards per carry. It's not even like he's averaging 3.5 and it's like a below 
it's not like a subpar game, but at least it's a effectively grinding out yards. This was just like continuing to run at run blitzes that like basically playing into what Cincinnati wanted you to do. I think there was one good play call that took advantage of that aggressiveness, and that was Derrick Henry's screen pass when they, you know, they have all these blitzers coming down the run to fill the run gaps. Well, yeah, you, you throw a screen over the top of their heads and, and end up with tons of open space. And the other one was the downfield shot to Traylon Burks that basically got them a field goal out of it. That's another good example of taking advantage of an over-aggressive defense and trying to get it over the top of their heads. But they didn't do that enough. They stuck to the run game too much. And I think that's what frustrated me the most about watching this game. It was just ugly. So many punts on both sides of the ball. The Titans actually averaged more yards per play than the Bengals in this one. They just didn't run as many plays. And that is just frustrating to to lose that way. Yeah, certainly a concerning theme uh, beginning to emerge here, right? Uh, Derrick Henry against the Broncos, 19 carries for 53 yards. Um, against the Packers, it was 28 carries for 87 yards. Uh, you know, you're kind of, you know, semi-okay with the total and a, a touchdown in that game. But 28 carries to get 87 yards, obviously never yeah. going to be ideal. And then in this game, uh, a, a season, oh, sorry, nearly a season low, but 17 carries for 38 yards. His season low was against Buffalo in week two, 25 uh, yards on 13 carries. So 17 carries, 38 yards in this one. Uh, Henry hasn't gone over 100 yards in three straight games after a streak of where he hit 100 plus in uh, five straight, or uh, I believe it was. So, um Certainly concerning, frustrating. What's the takeaway from this? Ultimately, a couple of things. Brian Baldinger has become a favorite, I think, of the Titans fan base because he's always tweeting out clips of how dominant the Titans offensive line is and defensive line is. Um, it was the opposite, right? On, on Monday morning, he tweeted like a two, three minute compilation of the Bengals just destroying the Titans offensive line up front, not giving Henry any room to operate. And then, of course, our, our buddy and colleague over at Broadway Sports, Mike Herndon, had co-tweeted and talked about the run blitzes and the bare fronts that the Bengals were running to combat Tennessee's ground game. Uh, and it worked to perfection, right? Tennessee had no answer for it. For those of you, you know, who aren't aware, th those bare fronts, they're especially effective against zone running plays and zone offenses, right? Because you sort of, you know, you, you condense more the middle of the line a little bit. You prevent them. You, it, it helps prevent from reaching the second level right, which obviously is so important to the success of that zone uh, rush offense. It, it prevents some of those double teams as well that you want to get, those combo blocks as a zone blocking team. So they had the answer for it, right? They, they dominated them up front, and, and Tennessee didn't uh, really show an ability to counterpunch it, right, or, or to make the necessary in-game adjustments. They may have a real problem on their hands here uh, to a degree because we all know it's a copycat league. Um, Denver ran a lot of those looks as well. A few weeks ago, we mentioned Henry in that yeah. game, 19 carries for 53 yards. So uh, what, what do you think Tennessee's next opponent's going to do? Right, You look at the tape from the Cincinnati game. You look at the tape from the Denver game even. Even the Green Bay game, right? Even though they won it, but they weren't very successful running the ball. You, you look at how the defense has stopped him the last couple of weeks, right? And and guess what? You got a hell of a defensive front coming to town uh, or, or you're in Philadelphia. You, you got to play. So um, re really, really tough, and they got to figure this out, right? It, it really did. Again, I'll, I'll end by kind of with how what I started with. Um, it was it was haunting to watch that two minute clip from Brian Baldinger of how Cincinnati just dominated them up front because it felt like you were on the opposite side of the coin for for the first time in a while. Yeah, and something you said that I think applies to this conversation that you said before we started taping, you said it in our our group chat is this is how they lose in the playoffs. Do you want to elaborate on that point? 
Yeah, and I'll almost go as far as saying this is this is how they'll lose in the in the playoffs in the AFC, right? It's it's look, and it's an overarching theme here. And you could switch some of these things out, but it's them scoring sixteen points only, right? It's it's them not running the football effectively. It's them not having the answer to make in-game adjustments when they're not running the football effectively. It's them not having the personnel necessary to go away from the run game with any desired consistency and just air out the football and throw it a bunch of times with success. And uh, and look, it's very similar, right, to how they – I don't want to say very similar, but you'll see what I mean – to how they lost to the Bengals in the playoffs last year, right? It's They only scored 16 points in that one. Well, they only scored 16 points in this one. Uh, they allowed 20 points in that one. They allowed uh, sorry, they allowed 20 points in this one. They allowed 19 points in that one. In both games, you can't put too much blame on the defense, right? And and look, the Bengals hit their shot plays on occasion. T. Higgins had a dominant day, and this was without Jamar Chase and Joe Mixon, of course. But the point is, uh, the defense did enough, you would think, to win this football game. At the end of the day, they allowed 20 points. But the offense scored 16, right? They didn't do right. enough. Uh, they didn't hold up their end of the bargain. And then, look, the reason I, I kind of backtracked there for a second and said it's not exactly the same, where in this one, it was more red zone inefficiency, whereas in that one, it was turnovers, right? You had three interceptions in that game. They didn't turn it over in this game at all. So from that instant, it was different. But you know what? You can switch out the red zone inefficiency for the turnovers, and you got the same result at the end of the day. Yeah, and if you go back even further to the last two playoff losses before the Bengals last year, the Ravens the year before and the Chiefs the year before that, it was red zone inefficiency that doomed them more than turnovers, and it was inability to run the ball c- combined with red zone inefficiency. The defense didn't allow a ton of points, and either of those, well, I guess the Chiefs scored a lot of points, but the Ravens didn't score a ton of points in the 2020 playoff game, and the Bengals only scored 19 in the 2021 game, and the Titans didn't couldn't do enough on offense to overcome it. And I think, you know, while we're on the topic of crediting the defense, like I'm sure there's people listening to this in their cars screaming like, well, what about Kevin Strong committing a stupid penalty at the end of the game? And like, yeah, maybe the Titans, like we'd be happier sitting here today if the Titans had allowed 23 points versus 20, because that would have meant that that field goal was good and the Titans got the ball back and had a chance to go tie the game and send it to overtime. But so that penalty, I mean, it was very frustrating, but it is a penalty. You can't hit the center while his head is down. And uh, I'm almost not even mad about that play because, like, they should have got the ball back. They should have gotten a stop. You shouldn't allow Cincinnati to take the ball over with 6.07 left in the game and go all the way down the field to kick a short chip shot field goal. Like, if you're trying to win the game, you got to get a stop before that. And Joe Burrow made some really nice throws down the sideline on a drive where they didn't need to throw the ball. They could have run the ball, you know, to be safe and conservative or whatever, but they didn't play the Cincinnati Bengals. This is the biggest difference in this game. Cincinnati Bengals didn't play to lose. They played aggressive. They played their offense, even with under five minutes to go nursing a four point lead. They threw the ball deep down the field, not just down the field. They went with what they know they're good at and they did it well. They didn't get over conservative. Meanwhile, the Titans played not to lose. Titans have a fourth and five with 6.07 remaining. And this play just really frustrated me. They're at the Cincinnati 20-yard line, fourth and five. You just gained 10 yards on third and 15 after maybe your worst play call of the season with the Dontrell Hilliard screen that lost five yards. But you're right there. You've moved the ball all the way down the field. I know you just lost five yards on that play, but you've been moving the ball on this drive and and the last drive pretty, pretty well, even though you didn't get touchdowns out of it. It's fourth and five with 6.07 to go. You're down by a touchdown. What does a field goal get you? 
a better chance to win the game if you get the ball back? Maybe so. But you got to focus on the present and the right now. This entire game is different if the Titans go for it on that fourth down, score a touchdown on that drive, make it 20-20. to Maybe Cincinnati goes down and gets a game-winning field goal. There's definitely some game game script that happened afterwards to, to establish that that might be the case. Or maybe they don't run the ball when they get the ball back as much. And then, because they, they were trying to bleed clock before they did take those downfield shots, and the Titans couldn't tackle Samaj P. Ryan, maybe it's a little different if it's 20 to 20. Maybe not. I don't know. But the upshot of, of not going forward on fourth and five, let's say you don't get it. Okay, you need to get a defensive stop and a touchdown. Kick a field goal. Defensive stop and a touchdown. The best case scenario kicking a field goal is that you need a defensive stop and a touchdown. The worst case scenario, if you go for it, is that you need a defensive stop and a touchdown. So why on earth would you not go for it? I totally don't get this. Um, I was going to save that for my beef of the week, but you know what? I just got into it and vented all my frustrations. So we'll pick something else. <laughs> I certainly don't blame you. Look, that's a really, I think it's a really good point what you said at the end. I hadn't thought of that yet. Whereas if you don't get it, you need a stop and a touchdown. If you do, and you, 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 you kick the field goal, you still need a stop and a touchdown. So how I felt in that moment was that they should have gone for it. Um, that, that was my initial reaction immediately. I think it was whatever, third and 15, whatever the hell it was after that atrocious play call, atrocious loss to Dontre Hilliard. Then you come back and of course the Bengals were playing for the field goal, right? They were playing a bit of a, you know, basically crowding, uh, the first down marker and you get what was like 14 yards, maybe 10 10 yards, you get 10 yards. I think it was a completion of Nick Westbrook. Akine was a real quick hitter. And I was like, Oh, in that moment, I'm like, oh, you got this back down to four and five. Like, you can go for this now. Um, and they did it, right? They kicked the field goal. They took the conservative uh, route. And I don't want anyone to get confused. I think they should have gone for it. I didn't think it was overly egregious that they didn't. And ultimately, I don't know how much it changes because that that ensuing drive by the Bengals, I mean, you kind of said it. You still need a stop regardless, right? And they didn't prove capable of getting that stop. So, I, you know, I feel the Bengals probably go down and hit a game-winning field goal, um, even if the Titans get that first down and get into the end zone, which the way this offense is playing is, is certainly not a guarantee, right, that they would have converted. Um, but certainly I think they should have gone for it. I just don't know how, uh, that it would have changed the outcome ultimately. Yeah, I, I get you. It probably wouldn't have changed the outcome. And Ben Baldwin, if you're not familiar with his work, he's a big analytics guy um, on Twitter, and he has a, a Twitter account that is just a fourth down decision bot. Basically, every time a team has a fourth down, it automatically calculates the That's difference crazy. in success, per, like win percentage, if you get the fourth down versus if you punt it or if you kick a field goal and how the win percentage changes based on what you do. He This was... a uh, medium recommendation to go for it the, the recommendations range from strong to very strong to medium to weak um but this was a medium recommendation to go for it it would have added a, a 1.1 win percentage point like 1.1 percent winning chance if you go for it um so it's not like based on analytics and and history it was a huge difference it's not like one of those really egregious like how come this coach didn't go for it moments like like the one in the playoffs against the Ravens when they exactly. punted from the 42-yard line or whatever it was, and they netted like 15 yards on the punt? <laughs> yeah, on a fourth and two. Yes, exactly. It wasn't that bad. Um, but your win percentage, if you if you get it, goes up uh, to 30%. If you fail, it goes down to 9%. If you kick the field goal, it goes up to 18%. If you fail to kick the field goal, if you miss the field goal, you stay obviously down at 8%. But... Um, the, the difference is like 30% versus 18% if you successfully go for it. 
and I don't know, I'm just saying a bunch of numbers that don't really mean a lot. But the point is, it wasn't a super egregious play. It was still a medium recommendation that you should have gone for it. And I just think the way the game was going, you just go for it right there. And why run the third and 15 play that's like a quick hitter to eat up yards unless you're treating it like a second down? You know, like you gain an advantage against the defense if you treat third down like second down and the defense is playing it like third down because you know that you have another down that you're going to use to try to get the first down as opposed to kicking a field goal. I don't know. It just didn't make sense to me. The answer to that question is, unfortunately, they were playing for the field goal, right? (laughs) And they had a backup kicker that they probably didn't trust all that much. So let's go get 10 yards here and get him within, what was it? Like he ended up, was it like a 35-yard field goal it ends up being because of those 10 yards, something along those lines? So let's get him into a 35-yard field goal situation instead of a 45-yard field goal situation if we go for the first down here on third and 15 and we don't get it. So that's the answer to that question, right? They were playing for the field goal. Yeah. It's just a bummer. Um, do you want to get into our beef of the week while we're here at the uh, eight fifteen or so minute mark in this episode? Um, beef of the week presented by the Pharmacy Burger Parlor and Beer Garden. The best burgers, the best brats in the Nashville area located in East Nashville. Make sure you stop by and tell them Music City Audible sent you. They present us with the beef of the week this week. And mine was going to be sort of with Mike Vrabel for not going for it on that fourth down, but we've just discussed that at length that I'm going to pivot and switch mine to Mike Vrabel slash Todd Downing slash anyone involved with deciding to continuously run the ball directly at Mike Hilton, who's like run blitzing on every single play, it feels like, gets in the backfield and makes multiple tackles for loss, and the Titans continue to just give the ball at Henry. They don't – you can – Use this over-aggressiveness against Mike Hilton with a play fake, with a pulling backer by screening it over his head, which they did one time, only one time. The other screen they ran was a horrible play for losing five yards on the other side of the field, and it was just stupid. Try to get something where you're taking advantage of a player's over-aggressiveness and a team's over-aggressiveness and using it against them. Instead, the Titans continue to just run the ball right at these bare fronts, right at these nickel blitzes, and didn't, like... They didn't help themselves at all. They made it easy for Cincinnati's defense to stuff Derrick Henry, which is like, that's hard to do to make it easy for someone to stuff Derrick Henry, but the Titans did it. And that's why my beef of the week is with whichever person on the staff is responsible for that. Everyone wants to just blame Todd Downing as if Mike Vrabel has no say in approving what Todd Downing is doing on the field. Um, I don't think Todd Downing is good at his job, but I don't think that like it's a hundred percent Todd Downing's fault. Like obviously Mike Vrabel shares in this and, Mike Vrabel's a really good coach. He's been a really good coach in Tennessee, and we were praising how good of a coach he was coming off last week's game. And, like, this game, by the end of the season, might look like a blip in the radar. Or, as you said, it might be a forecast for how the playoffs are going to unfold. So until they figure out how to win consistently without relying on Derrick Henry, I mean, the Packers game, we I gave them credit for having a, a productive offense despite Henry not being that good. But you were right. I mean, 28 carries for 80-something yards is still a decent enough day that it's not hamstringing your offense. It's these games where he has 30-something yards, which happen occasionally, that the offense just completely dies. And uh, that's my beef for the week. Yeah, I'm going to pivot and go with the offensive line in general. That's my beef of the week because I, I, I pointed to that video on Brian Baldinger's Twitter of them being dominated up front. Uh, they had a bad day. There's no way around it, right? And again, it was it was they were getting beat at their own game, right? The Bengals were more physical. They were in attack mode. They 
collapsed the pocket. They pushed it backwards. They were making contact with Henry in the backfield. Like there was really nothing Henry could do in this game to, to change um, his output. In my opinion, this was all about them getting beat up front. Of course, I agree with the coaching staff uh, issues that you have, but I'm talking about Henry himself, nothing he could do. Um, they were getting beat up front constantly, consistently snap by snap basis. Um, I think Aaron Brewer probably played his worst game of the season. And and Brewer's been very up and down, right? But he was he was rough in this one, especially in pass protection as well. But I thought with run blocking, he was great on the screen, that 75-yard screen to Henry. You saw him get out in front of that. I thought Nicholas Petit-Friere played a pretty decent game. Um, but I thought in run blocking specifically, I thought Dylan Radens had a rough showing. I thought Brewer had a, a really rough day outside of that highlight, in my opinion. Um, for this unit to be out physical, so to speak, by an opposing defensive line, it's so rare. Uh, they got beat at their own game. The Bengals stole their identity, essentially, yeah. in this one. Um, and that makes it my beef of the week. Yeah, that's a pretty good one. The The offensive line definitely got pushed around. I think the deciding factor in this game, I don't know, this is kind of a broad deciding factor, but the Bengals won the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. They were the more physical team, which, as you said, is just uncharacteristic for the Titans to not be the more physical team in a game. And Mike Vrabel always says the more physical team is the one that usually wins. And that's why the Titans didn't win this game. They were not the more physical team. Can I ask you a hypothetical question that might not matter at all? Absolutely. <laughs> Do you think the Titans missed the combination of Ben Jones and Danico Autry more or less than the Bengals missed the combination of Jamar Chase and Joe Mixon? Ooh, that's tough because I don't want to take anything away from the Bengals, right? Like Jamar Chase is a friggin' bona fide number one wide receiver. Um, but the answer probably is the Titans, right? And the reason I say that is because, first of all, T. Higgins is out there making plays. Like, he, like what did I say before this matchup? I said T. Higgins is a number one receiver, yep. right? Masquerading is a number two receiver because they have Jamar Chase. But T. Higgins is the number one receiver. Samaj P. Ryan is probably more physical than Joe Mixon, right? He's a bigger guy. Titans couldn't tackle him. How many times did he get four yards when he should have gotten one or two, right? Just the little gains like that where he was pushing the pile forward. You had to gang tackle him. Really difficult. So... Uh, I'm going to go with the Titans because obviously, and the reason I say that is I just talked about how bad Aaron Brewer was in this game at, at the center position. Certainly, yeah, he would have started at left guard regardless, but certainly uh, how many times do the Titans, first of all, uh, this might be an unfair question for me to ask because it's a metaphorical question, but how often do the Titans get out physical in general? Certainly they don't get out physical when they have Ben Jones on the field, it feels like, right? So perhaps Ben Jones could have helped with that outcome. Uh, you feel like potentially. And then Dina Coatry on the other side, like, Jeffrey Simmons, and I think it was, again, Mike, who alluded to this on Twitter, two pressures in his last two games. Clearly that angle is, that ankle excuse me, is bothering him so much. Uh, and then you, you take away Dina Kowatri from this game as well. You get opposing um, offensive lines. You get to focus even more on Jeffrey Simmons because they're not concerned with Dina Kowatri. And in all honesty, I, I've had it up to here with Bud Dupree. Like, he's not capable of being Dina Kowatri when Dina Kowatri is not out there, right? Like Dina Kowatri is just such a better football player than Bud Dupree is right now uh, that they miss Autry so, so much in this game. So uh, Jamar Chase is the best player, you know, you, you mentioned out of the four, I guess. Uh, but certainly I think the Titans missed their combination of Ben Jones and Dina Kowatri more. Yeah. And I'm looking at something that Joe Goodberry, our guest on the last episode tweeted shortly after the game showing the, what from next gen stats shows the average, like separation between the quarterback and the mm. pass rushers. And according to Joe Goodberry, it was Burrow's cleanest pocket he's had all season. Um, the only player, well, I guess their, their 
So the league average is 4.53 yards, pass rusher, distance from quarterback. Rashad Weaver's average on the day, 4.92. Jeffrey Simmons, 4.47, just inside that league average. Mario Edwards, 4.46, just inside that league average. And Bud Dupree, 4.36, a, a touch inside that league average. But no one even really that close to the quarterback. On the other side, uh, Trey Hendrickson was at 3.4 average yards from Ryan Tannehill on the day. Yeah. So just crushing that left side of the line. And um, that you was... remember what my worst matchup of the week was with Joe Goodberry? Yeah, that, that's right. Trey Hendrickson versus Dennis Daly. That proved to be the worst matchup. But you know what the worst matchup was? Was us bringing Joe Goodberry on the podcast. Yes. yes. <laughs> never I, I, never again, I should say. I mean, I mean, we love Joe, so I'm probably kidding. But never again because – and you know what? Building on that <laughs> with Joe Goodberry – the Bengals like are the worst matchup for the Titans, and like I, I mean, maybe that's a bit of a stretch to say, but you've got to be so frustrated with the way these last two games have gone. Like you talked about how Burrow they, they played to win. Burrow hits those shot plays. Like they have no fear when they play the Titans, and I think they have no respect. And I don't blame them. And it's not a shot at Ryan Tannehill. They have absolutely no respect for Ryan Tannehill and the Titans passing offense. Why would they have respect for this Tennessee passing offense? Because two, three games in a row, if you go back to the, the regular season game a few years ago when Titans still had Clowney and, uh, and Vic Beasley, Titans cannot beat the Bengals and they can't beat them by passing the football, right? Because the Bengals have had the same game plan all three games. Stop the run, force Ryan Tannehill to beat you. Guess what? They're 3-0 in those games. Ryan Tannehill cannot beat us. Again, this is not a shot at Ryan Tannehill. The, I'm saying this is how the Bengals probably feel about Ryan Tannehill, and the Titans have done nothing but to justify that feeling for the Bengals, right? They've held the Titans to 16 points in back-to-back games. That's a big playoff win, a big regular season win now on Sunday where they've stopped Derrick Henry. They forced Tennessee to beat them with, their, with the passing game, and, and they couldn't, right? And they didn't. And, and part of that, again, is refusing to make some of the in-game adjustments that we alluded to, in my opinion. And it's also lacking the personnel, right, to be a pass-heavy offense, yeah. both at receiver and at the offensive line, and to a smaller degree quarterback, right? Because, you, you, you know, you, you've got a, a fringe starting quarterback, in my opinion. You've got a top 17 quarterback in the NFL. You don't have a top 10 quarterback in the NFL, right? right? So, so the way they've built this team, the Bengals are an awful matchup for the Titans. They, they've proven it two years in a row, really three years in a row, if you go back to Burrow's rookie year. Burrow's now 3-0 and against the Titans. And guess what? If the playoffs started tomorrow, it would be Titans versus Bengals. Yeah. Lots of lots of regular season left to determine these playoff matchups. But it's, I mean, in my opinion, I don't know. There's a lot of tough matchups here if you get the Titans. So the Titans are pretty much set to win the division. It's not a guarantee. It's not, it's not locked up yet. There is math where the uh, Colts or Jaguars could make a push. And the Titans have to play the Jaguars in a couple weeks. So that'll get interesting. But assuming Tennessee does win the division, your potential first-round playoff matchups are the Buffalo Bills, if the Dolphins maintain their lead in the uh, AFC East, or the Miami Dolphins, if the Bills regain the lead. The Cincinnati Bengals are currently the sixth seed. As you said, the Titans are currently the three seed, so three and six would match up in the first round. Or the New York Jets, who have a really good defense, Looked amazing against the Bears on Sunday, which is the worst uh, defense in football, uh, with Mike White at quarterback, and who knows what their quarterback situation will be going into the playoffs. And to a me, defensive-minded head coach there in Chicago, right, and Matt Eberflus. I know that's just as bizarre, but they traded their best players. To me, there's a pretty clear, ideal matchup in the first round here, and it's the New York Jets. So if the Titans can't get the two seed, they're going to be facing the Bills, the Dolphins, or the Bengals in the first round. 
and uh, I don't really like their chances against any of those teams. It could be the Ravens, don't forget, right? I think the Ravens and Bengals are now both 7-4 and four That's after fair. Sunday's development. The, the, the Ravens are no longer a lock to win that division. I'll, I'll say this. In terms of my pecking order on where I, I would want, I, the Jets and Patriots are overwhelming for me, and I, I don't have a big distinction there. I, I think I'd agree with you where I'd lean the Jets, but the Patriots wouldn't be far away. I think the Titans match up well with the Patriots. Agreed. Patriots, you know, I could see a, the Patriots scoring like three points on this Titans defense, right? <laughs> Without how, you know, really anemic their offense is. So Patriots and, and, and Jets, hands on the be- uh, your, your preferred matchup. After that, it gets a little muddier for me. Like, call me crazy. I almost prefer the Dolphins to the Bengals. And that's really because of the way the teams are built. Like, look, Tyree Kill, Jalen Waddle, incredible receivers. Dolphins are a good football team. But a couple of things. Dolphins defense hasn't been nearly as good as the Bengals. Tua Tagovailoa is not as good of a quarterback as Joe Burrow, in my opinion. I know he's had some, you know, some pretty great games, great numbers with those weapons. But And the offensive line is pretty terrible in Miami. I know it's not very good in Cincinnati either. And the Dolphins can't run the ball, right? They effectively cannot run the ball. So... I see the Titans defense in that, in that, you know, metaphorical matchup, being able to get pressure on Tua, ruffle his feathers all day long. You're not allowing Miami to run the football. That hasn't been the same with Joe Burrow. They haven't been able to ruffle his feathers, even though they had whatever nine sacks in the playoff game last year, he keeps getting up and he's ready to play. Right. And he's still taking shots down the field. So I all, I think Miami's a better team than the Bengals overall, but I think it's very possible that the uh, Dolphins are a, a sort of, so to speak on the, favor for the Titans here, a better matchup for the Titans and the Bengals. I agree with that completely. And you mentioned the Patriots. They're currently holding the eighth seed at six and five, just out of the playoff picture. The Los Angeles Chargers are also six and five. So those are two teams that could make a push if the Jets or anyone else has like a little fall off um, in terms of the wild card race. But yeah, it's a pretty scary AFC overall. And I mean, there's teams that are not out of it yet. Jacksonville, Las Vegas, they only have four wins. They're three wins back of a playoff spot right now. But, I mean, I don't know how good the Jets really are. And if they can maintain, you know, where they are at in the standings right now, they could have a fall off and a regression. And one of the other teams could make a a late season run. We see it every year. Somebody goes off and wins five games in a row to close the season and gets in the playoffs that we didn't expect. So we'll see how all of that unfolds. Anything else you want to say about this game? I think one thing we we missed was just continuing to see Traylon Burks grow. You know, one positive yes. to take out of this game. Traylon Burks looks like he can continue to grow. If he can continue to improve, he might be a number one caliber receiver. He's making plays downfield. He's making short catches on third down. He's taking screens for yards after cat. He looks like a guy that you can reliably go to if they start giving him more chances down the field. I think it's only going to result in more explosive plays. We saw it against Green Bay, and we saw it again in this game against Cincinnati with the big 52-yard catch that was 100% pass interference on the defense that they did not call, by the way. They called roughing the passer, which was nice, addition of 15 yards, but it was also pass interference. And while I'm on the subject of pass interference and frustrations, T. Higgins pushed off like a mother against whoever was, uh, I think, was it Roger McCreary? McCreary. In the end zone on that uh, 27-yard touchdown, we showed it so many times on Around the NFL recap on Sunday night, the T. Higgins touchdown replay, and it's just like, I know they're hand fighting and there's contact on both sides, but he shoved McCreary off of him, and it was pretty blatant. But anyway, shout out to Traylon Burks. <laughs> yeah, I'll add two things to that. Number one, I, I thought it was OPI, but in all honesty, I'm not surprised they didn't call it. And I think that's probably consistent with how 
they call or don't call OPI. So I'm, I'm not surprised Titans didn't get that call, and I wouldn't expect to get that call, and I certainly wouldn't expect to get it in the postseason either. Um, and and then again, Roger McCurry, that's sort of where the size limitations are going to show up. Like T. Higgins is a terrible, terrible matchup for Roger McCreary down there uh, in the red area. Um, Shout out to Traylon Burks, as you said. Nearly 200 receiving yards in his last two games. That 52-yard reception was unbelievable. Was pass interference. I thought the defensive back clearly was trying to pin his arm down so he couldn't go up and get the ball, but he goes up and gets the ball anyway. That was a definition almost of you got mossed in my in my yeah. in my right in my opinion. Like he just that was a man making a man's play. It was unbelievable. Like it was just it was it was grown man stuff. It was incredible. Uh, they've got to feature him more often. Perhaps some of the answer to that, you know, the, those run blitzes, the bare fronts, is a little bit more play action on first and second down, hitting Traylon Burks on those classic bang play action passing plays that they've loved throughout the years, the ones A.J. Brown used to run a lot, you know, across the middle of the field. Something I think you certainly have to think of as a way to counteract um, these run blitzes that they're starting to see with more frequency. Again, that's got to happen on first and second down, right, to relax the defense a little bit, get them to back up the line of scrimmage. Um, very positive on Traylon Burks. I'll end with this. It's so important, I think, that he's starting to look like a legitimate number one receiver potentially because that how bad was that A.J. Brown trade going to be if Traylon Burks doesn't pan out and is a bust, right? And certainly his story's not written yet, right? But from an individual skill set perspective, the individual traits, what you've seen over these last couple of games certainly indicates that Traylon Burks is going to be a pretty damn good NFL receiver, that's a really good sign for this team because I don't know that they could have handled uh, him being a bust. I don't know if this fan base could handle him being a bust because you'll never forget that it was A.J. Brown. They traded for him, essentially. Right. And my last shout-out, Trey Avery. Random undrafted yeah. free agent rookie corner out of Rutgers that basically nobody even knew about going into training camp. Had to start a few games early in the season due to injury and got beat pretty badly. Came back and played pretty dang well in this game against a really good receiving core. He was all over uh, receivers coming out of breaks on those sideline passes. And overall, I just thought, you know what? I'm impressed with this kid and I uh, hope he can continue to play well because Titans are struggling at, you know, that, that cornerback spot opposite Christian Fulton these days. Terrence Mitchell, a healthy scratch for this game. Yeah, a bit of a surprise there with Mitchell, in my opinion, slightly. I know Zach was uh, for f Words pod was quick to... Uh, with Sass point out that Mitchell had only played eight snaps the week before, so it's not really a surprise. It's a surprise based on the guys been playing 100% defensive snaps in recent weeks, right before that uh, last one against Green Bay. So it was a, a minor surprise, I think, without doubt. Uh, it indicates they've been really happy with Trey Avery in practice, in my opinion, giving him good reps, and I thought he was good in this game. Looks like a pretty decent undrafted find. Uh, I don't know that he's going to be you know, a starting caliber corner, but it certainly looks like you've at least gotten yourself a, a, a solid number four corner, right? A guy that can come in and not kill you. Um, if he's got to play, uh, you know, on the boundary, he's got to start or, or play in relief of someone injured. So certainly a really nice undrafted find for the Titans is Trey Avery. Yeah. All right. Anything else on this game or should we close out and get ready for the next one? No, I think that does it. We'll be back later this week to preview the Eagles game. It is a big one. The Eagles are 10-1 and after defeating the Packers on Sunday night football. They put up 40 points. Explosive offense again. Explosive from Jalen Hurts. Uh, it's an A.J. Brown revenge game, I guess, if you want to call it that. You know he's licking his chops to go up against this Titans team after what transpired in the offseason. He clearly hasn't let go of sort of that bad taste. He was tweeting about them not getting open a few weeks ago with the receivers. So 
it's safe to say he's really looking forward to this one. We've got an unbelievable guest that we are bringing on to preview it later in the week. Someone you are all uh, probably familiar with if you're a big football guy, if you're a big NFL draft guy. You don't even have to be a big Eagles guy. You'll know who he is. Uh, so make sure you tune in later this week for a terrific episode previewing the Eagles. Nice. That's called a tease, folks. And Melo, you just nailed the tease. Um, all right, that'll do it for this episode. Make sure to go to broadwaysportsmedia.com where you can become a Broadway insider. Yeah, become a Broadway insider today. It's $6.99 a month. You can use the code INSIDER to get your first month for just $0.99 cents, or use the code ANNUAL uh, for a total of $49.99 for your first year. Lots of great uh, benefits to becoming a Broadway Insider. We've got the Mike Herndon Show uh, behind the paywall. That's a weekly video show going out every week with your favorite Mike Miracles, Mike Herndon. That's obviously a big perk to becoming a Broadway Insider. You get early access to some of the podcasts. Uh, a lot of written content behind that paywall. Whether that written content comes from me, it comes from Zach at uh, F Words Pod. Uh, it's coming from Easton. There's a lot of content coming your way if you're a Broadway insider. Become an insider today. You won't regret it. And also thanks to the Pharmacy, Burger Parlor, and Beer Garden. Check out the Pharmacy. Tell them the Music City Audible sent you. All right, you can find Justin on Twitter at Justin M underscore NFL. I am at Titans Film Room. As Justin said, we will be back later this week. So until then, you all stay safe out there. And even though it was a sad loss on Sunday, still remember to tighten up. A Broadway Sports Media Production.